Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends pretend to be bartenders and talk about gruesome murders. Each week, we feature a new cocktail, which has to tie into our stories. Although we are a casual comedy podcast, some of our subject material can be explicit. Listeners, be advised. Hey guys, it's Drea. And Jackie. And another week of Killer Cocktails is coming to you right now. Uh. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, This week we are doing the Vesper. Yes, the Vesper. Tell me about this Vesper, Drea. Okay, so I've never had one, and apparently you have a false memory of me drinking them with you. Well, because I was at Kimmery, it just felt like a time you would have been there. Yeah, I'm not always everywhere. Sometimes I'm nowhere. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I'm everywhere. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, uh, let me tell you about this Vesper cocktail. It's also known as the Vesper Martini. Um, it was created by author Ian Fleming, and if in case you don't know, he wrote the James Bond books, um, and he wrote like Casino Ro- Royale, uh, which was published in 1953, and it gets its name from a fictional double agent uh, called Vesper Lind. Oh, I don't think I knew where the name came from. Yeah. Interesting. So the author Ian Fleming created this cocktail on a whim on his own accord in the book. And when Bond orders the Vesper, it comes with very strict instructions that must be followed by anyone who makes it. So Bond is like, you have to use three measures of Gordon's, which is gin, one of vodka, and a half of measure of Kina Lele. 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 <laughs> um, and you shake it very well until it's ice cold. And then you add a large, thin slice of lemon, uh, like peel. Um, but if you were to talk to a professional bartender, they'd say that you shouldn't shake the cocktail since it's mainly just an alcohol because you'd over dilute it with yeah. the ice. So instead, you should stir it. Which I get. I understand that from a purist standpoint. But I sometimes it is too much of a bite I, I like it when it's shaken. I like when you get the little ice fleckles and it's a little mm. bit watered down. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not yeah. a, I'm not enough of a... Stickler? Yeah. I think I'm still a baby cocktail person in that way. Little baby. So what do you think? Oh, well, I guess you didn't get I, to make I it. I have had one. Mm-hmm. They're very good. If you like martinis, there's no way you don't like a Vesper. Like, mm-hmm. I liked uh, vodka martinis, and then I learned that I liked gin martinis, and it's kind of just those two together. Yeah. So it's three ounces of gin and an ounce of vodka. It's very boozy. And then you have the Lillet, which is like kind of lemony, kind of not. And then which, which um, I that- didn't realize I thought was a like a completely different spirit. But then <clears throat> it's it's a, um, you know, what do you put in a martini? It's uh, vermouth. Yeah, it's a type of vermouth. I don't yeah. I don't really get that. Yeah. So it gives it that vermouthy taste and it's just really boozy and so I'll, I'll bet I'll bet if you good. like martinis or if you have vermouth at your house, mm-hmm. um, like a dry vermouth, uh, yeah. you could probably make a version of this cocktail that'll be similar enough. You'll you'll get definitely. the idea. Most definitely. Um, yeah. So that's the history of the cocktail. Well, wait a minute. Oh. So I had, I don't know where I got this. Somebody told me this. I feel like it was someone at work that uh, James Bond, the reason that he would specify that they shake it because otherwise they would stir it. Uh-huh. Was that he was trying to alert attention to how many drinks he was having, because the bartender would be making his drink for him and like shook a shook like everyone knows when a shaken drink is being made, because uh-huh. he wanted people to think he was drunker than he was. Oh, and then so say he's ordering all these cocktails. Is he not drinking all of them? Or not, yeah, not necessarily. Like sometimes he would have them make a fake drink and be shaking it, and he's gotcha. not. 
Oh, James Bond, you sneaky bastard. I mean, he's a sneaky spy. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky. Um, oh, and then just a fun fact. Vesper also is um, uh, a hail to Catholic religion uh, for their evening prayers. It's called a Vesper. Oh. Yeah. You learn, so. you learn something every day. Yeah. There you go. Fun fact. Cocktail hour. <laughs> um, Jackie, do you want to jump into your murder? I will jump right in. Perfect. Let me pull it up here. I got to... Oh, let's see, side by side, all this technology. All right, are you ready? Yes. All right, so a uh, ton of this is just uh, Wikipedia, a little bit from Murderpedia kind of sprinkled in. Um, this website, learninghistory.com, and I listened to an episode of That's Why We Drink, um, which was pretty much just kind of what everything I learned from the Wikipedia, but kind of, uh, I don't know, a different way of phrasing some of it, so it kind of made it stick a little bit better than just reading it. Yeah. Um. All right, here we go. I'm going to tell you about David Edward Most. Okay. Um, he was born in Connellsville, Pennsylvania. So it's like an hour away, kind of southeast from uh, Pittsburgh. So it's kind of in, while he's not Amish and his family wasn't Amish, it's kind of Amish country around there. Um, he was the second of four kids and his dad left when he was seven. And then his mom was like, you take David. And then a day later, he's like, no, 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 you take David. And then she goes, uh, I'm just going to drop him off at this mental institution because he's a little too much. Oh, so it's fair to say that, like, he had a really tumultuous childhood. It was pretty unstable. Like, he felt very much like nobody wanted him. So uh, his mom drops him off and she's saying that um he's super disturbed that he tried to set his brother's bed on fire then he tried to drown his brother um and that he needs to be not at home and the social and workers is, yeah and this is like for sure <clears throat> this isn't being made well up. so the social uh, workers that are uh, interacting with the mom are like um she's disturbed she's psychotic she's functioning marginally she's really narcissistic and needy herself um, the mom had been in a mental institution for a month also. And they're like, I don't know. They're like, we don't necessarily see what she's seeing. But they take David. And like, and this place kind of has a reputation of it's where a lot of kids get dumped by parents or caretakers that can't take care of them. Um, and so all the people there are kind of like, he's one of those kids that mm. doesn't have these issues, but is kind of being dropped off here. So while they don't really observe anything... Um, there's definitely other people who are like, no, David, David was a violent kid. Like his brother said that he watched David beat a squirrel with a baseball bat just for ah. fun. Mm. Then there was a time when David had friends over and twice he did this twice and neither of them died, but he just randomly choked them for no reason. Ah. And like later in his diary, he was like, I, I can't explain it. We were just watching TV and I just looked over and I had this urge to I mean, choke him. I think we've talked about this in the past. Like, as human beings, you have these weird urges. Like, I shouldn't drive off the cliff right there, now. But there's you a, have and those. there's a term I can never remember. It's, uh, I think it's called an intrusive thought. Yeah, and but while, you don't act on it. Correct. And he was saying I had to act on it. Interesting. Okay. So he kind of has these these violent moments. He's in this institution, and again, but he's able to behave himself when he's in the institution. Like he's kind of. On the, mm -hmm. and, and all they really had to say about it was he seemed really distraught that his mom wouldn't visit. 
that it was oh. really sporadic when she would come. And like yeah. on visitor days, he would stare out the window and wait. And she'd say she was going to come, but then she'd say she was sick or that her back hurt or she'd have all these excuses. Yeah. And David was just like sad. Yeah. So he finally gets out of the um, mental institution and then he's put into like a, I, I, like now you'd call it like a group home, but it's, not, it's like an mm-hmm. orphanage kind of group homey deal. Um, and when he's there, <clears throat> he, so this might've happened also at the institution. So David's brother basically said, um, he was molested when he was young, but it's not really known if that was at the home, if that was in the institution, if there are other instances, but it is known that he was in the group home when he was about 13, that another boy in the group home molested him. Okay. And so, um, he gets out of the, like he escapes from the the group home and he comes back and the mom's scared of him like she keeps not wanting him in the house and like yeah. later when she talks about it she's like i was terrified of him he was so violent i didn't know how to protect my other kids from him i didn't like i just he was scary and i didn't want him around yeah and so uh at one point when i think he's done being in the group home and he's done in the institution and like he kind of needs to be home she sends him down to georgia uh to go live with an uncle and things are kind of going okay in Georgia for a while. Like he starts working for the uncle's construction company and he's doing all right. And by all accounts, he's kind of a skilled worker. Um, but then he ends up crashing the company truck somehow. So he okay. gets fired from that and sent back up to Pennsylvania. So he tries coming home and his mom's like, oh, no, no, no. You're still just as scary as you always have been. So it's like 1971. So she takes him down to the army recruiting office because he's like 17, going to be 18. And she gets him like in the loops with them and when he turns 18 he enlists in the army okay so then he just turned 18 yeah after all this yeah okay so then he goes into basic training here in the states and then he gets stationed over in germany and he's a cook and he kind of oh he's a really great bowler (laughs) like like at one point his average was like 297 what like he's and he has all these bowling records on the base i could barely get to 100 i know it's a good game with with the bumper. Oh, well, that's bad. <laughs> hey. So he kind of he kind of serves without incident until about 1974. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in 74, and this is where it's kind of muddy. I'm not really sure. He, he somehow befriends this like 13-year-old kid named Jimmy McClister. And Jimmy's an American. His uh, parents are like expats living over in Germany. And... He kind of hang- he has a relationship with Jimmy that like I I don't think I, I think there were times when it was sexual but not necessarily like he get he starts becoming uncomfortable with how he feels about Jimmy and okay. so he decides that he's going to kill Jimmy and like there's a note oh, in, there's a note in his journal that's like in 7 months when Jimmy's hair is long I'll kill him then Jimmy, don't grow out your hair. Oh, Jimmy does grow out his hair. No! And so... Jimmy, cut your hair. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just... I'm so unsure of that, like, if if there was more to that than he was just hanging out with a kid or... Yeah. But he, he takes him on a, a moped ride out into the forest, you know, uh, uh-huh. like, like a moped... Um, uh, you're you know, like you're a, ridiculous. Like a Vespa. I hate you. <laughs> I hate... I hate you. Oh, oh, Jacqueline. Huh? Is that your tie to That's the cocktail? That's my tie. <laughs> Vespa sounds like Vesper. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So okay. He takes him out on 
Good tie. Good tie. He takes him out on like a Mr. Toad's wild ride out into the forest. (gasps) Oh, no. And uh, he ties him to a tree and he just attacks him and he he ends up killing him. Oh. His body is found like a month later and they figure out the ties to David. He's court-martialed. He's brought in. Um, David has this whole story about how they were out riding the moped and that Jimmy was on it, that there were these like wild hooligan teenagers who threw a mm. screwdriver into the spokes. Of and that, course. So, so David tells this story of like, there was this weird freak accident that wasn't his fault that did kill Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm, probably not, buddy, but there's no evidence really otherwise. Mm-hmm. And they don't have any witnesses. And so he's uh, he receives a four-year sentence at Fort Leavenworth Prison. So he comes back from Germany and he serves this in the States. Um, and I think it's a, a manslaughter charge. Mm-hmm. And when it's time for... So he gets that four-year charge. So all of that happened in... Do, 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 uh, I, don't, I can't remember what year. But so in 1977, he's supposed to be released from prison. And David is pleading with them. He says, please do not let me out. I don't know how. So like, Mm. he's like, I don't know how to be around other people. Don't like, please, please don't let me out. And essentially they're kind of like, well, you had this sentence. You've served. There's nothing to keep you here on. Even though he's saying that he's dangerous. And I feel like we've accounted that a couple of times where they're like, I just, I know I can't restrain myself. So just keep me in here. Yeah, which is so sad. So then in 1979, in an apartment in Chicago, he there's like a friend staying over who's sleeping and David just like stabs him. Uh. So the guy doesn't die. So he's he gets attempted murder and he's like mm. in for a little bit, but then he's released. And then in 1981, he decides that he's going to go. He gets this like vigilante kick where he's like, I'm going to find that 13 year old kid who molested me at the child's home and I'm going to go murder him. Whoa, because no. he kind of blames him for everything. He's like, I'm uh, that's why everything's fucked and twisted. No. So he goes looking for this guy and he doesn't find him. And he, while on this like hunt for this guy, he meets this 15 year old Do- Donald Jones and he decides he'll just kill him instead. So I think he's just kind of transposed all of his yeah. feelings onto this other person who's the same age kind of as who he's looking for. Oh, because um, now that guy, that guy's an adult now. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. So, um, He's drowned, like, they find his body drowned in a quarry. Um, And then later there's another boy who's stabbed. So he just kind of starts killing all these kids. And, like, later in his journal, like, this is a quote. How many kids? Um, At least four, I think five. Oh. Maybe maybe six. Um, Yeah. So this is a quote from his journal. When I got locked up in the Army, and then especially when I got locked up in 1981, I knew I should never be let out again. I didn't know how to act around other people. I was never taught how to make friends or keep them. Um, when an inmate says that they don't want out, somebody has to listen. Yeah. So then uh, in 1982, so this is after he's been let out again in 81. Um, he's So he's in jail in Texas. Then he gets extradited to Illinois because he's got these bodies in different states. Um, and he, like, at one point he ends up in a mental institute. Like, they're, he ends up in a mental institution where they're like, he's kind of nuts and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he's begging for help. And mm-hmm. then they find this like, at one point he, so in the very end, he ends up um, hanging himself in jail. And he, oh my and, he, and he leaves a note and he says, 
I killed these other people and yeah. these other kids and here's, you know, their names and where their bodies are. So he kind of gave closure to the families after the fact. Yeah. Um, but like at one of the points, there was a guy, I think it was one of the trans, like jail transporters who was like, this is the most, he goes, this is like a uh, John Wayne Gacy type. This guy's scary. Yeah. And like how much interaction is that dude really having with him? And then there's like more paperwork. Like there were certain social workers and like people once he'd been in the system that were like, mm-hmm. this is the most dangerous man we have in custody. Whoa. And he just kept being let out. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's kind of the like, that's kind of the, like there's there's if people want to look into it. There's a little bit more detail stuff to it. But that's essentially the story is he just like kept begging to stay in and they kept letting him out and he kept killing teenage boys. So what are your thoughts? So like if an inmate is saying, I know I'm going to repeat offend, like keep me in jail. Like, what do you what do you think about that? Like, should our system keep them? It's so hard because you have these um, like you. I wonder what the current system is like. Can you go you can commit yourself to a mental institution, can't you? Or uh-huh. is it I believe so. part Vol- time? I think voluntary. Yeah, like maybe if there's like a prison style, I don't know. It's like how many people are going to do that? Mm-hmm. But maybe if it's not that many people, like how many resources is it really taking if you've got one small little campus of people who are like, I am telling you I'm not cool. Put me in there. And it's but, then, so interesting. but then at one point, do you let them out? Like, okay, you said that in 1982, but now it's 1994 and you're stir crazy and you don't want to be there anymore. Are, are you stuck there forever because you said one time that you're dangerous? Are you not yeah. allowing yourself to read? So it's a really, it's muddy. Yeah. And it's interesting to have the wherewithal to be like, I know what I'm doing is wrong and I know I'm going to do it again. So I, I want you to help me to like stop me. Well, I it's think very interesting to have that mindset. Yeah. I, I, you know, sadly, I think that's, that's why he took his life is he's like, well, they keep letting me out. I don't want to keep murdering people. Like that's a way to end it. It's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's sad what he did, too. I all mean, of it. I, all, all of it's of it. sad. Yeah. Oh, Jackie. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are going to take a short intermission. We're going to refresh on our cocktails and we'll be right back. Bye. Ba-da-ba-da. Hey, guys, it's me, Drea, coming to you from Jackie. <laughs> intermission um jackie what do we got going on in intermission land today well i think we we're just going to address the fact that uh the world is upside down everything is nuts i haven't seen like hung out with you guys in weeks and uh it's nuts everyone is stuck quarantining or you know staying home staying healthy trying to limit their exposure to people um people are losing their jobs and i mean you and i just got furloughed from our job for months um it's crazy out there and uh what i kind of wanted to say was we'll get messages from people that are telling us how much they appreciate the the break from everything by having something lighthearted, even though it's kind of dark to to listen to and that while it's you know it's nice to hear that from people it's also it's nice for us like we appreciate hearing that we it's fun for us to do this and it's a nice way to kind of stay connected with you kimmery and drea um so i guess i just wanted to kind of say thank you to everybody for for listening and appreciating what we do yeah 100 percent. thank you guys so much like 
I, I think I've been interacting with more and more of you on social media. I think we have a lot more time on our hands and it's just been really awesome to connect with you. And um, we actually got a couple more reviews on iTunes too, which was really yeah, fun yeah. to read. Uh, we're at 102 ratings, which is super cool. We finally hit that 100 mark. Um, and uh, I was going to read you the latest uh, review. Uh, it's by Scoffs Off, and he's like, what a, sh- what a fun show, or maybe it's a lady, but th- this person, what a fun show. And uh, it says, a goofy take on mixology and murder, what a treat. B- very casual and funny. So <laughs> he definitely read our, our, uh, our slogan, uh, casual. Um, and then also, um, like we were saying, this is a crazy time, and uh, we know that um, you know, some of us are out of work and some of us are still in work, but uh, we wanted to give a big shout out to those who are still donating. Um, thank you, Kathleen. It means so much that you um, have a recurring donation with us and also to Stacy uh, and Carrie. Thank you guys so much. Uh, that truly means a lot, especially right now. It's helpful. Yeah, because, you know, we, we have to buy the ingredients every week and it, we have to pay to host the episodes online to be able to push them out to iTunes and all that. Um, and then the other thing... Uh, was if you are tight on it's tight times it is free we all have so much time on our hands uh bump over and throw on a review you know rate like subscribe that does push everything up in the the rankings so other people can can see us and can hear yeah so thank you guys so much and enough about this let's get back to the murder back to the stories Hey guys, we're back from a break. Here we go. Are you excited, Jackie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, so right off the top, I'm going to state my sources. So I'm going to uh, shout out Baltimore Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a really deep investigative uh, work on this. Uh, Do you know why I'm title- excited about that? Why? Because the guy who uh, is co-creator, writer, blah, 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 everything for The Wire worked for the Baltimore Sun. You and The Wire. It's so How's good. it going? You're watching it right now, right? Yeah, I'm like picking it. Up. I'm not like mowing through it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they did an article called Tragic Trail of Violence by uh, Linnell Smith. Uh, and also shout out to Murderpedia. Uh, right off top, um, I'm going to do a trigger warning. Um, my case is really heavy in domestic violence. Um, so uh, just a heads up right now, if that's something that you've dealt with in the past and don't think you want to listen to right now, go ahead and turn off our show. Um, if you feel like that's something that you need to contact someone about, um, please reach out to the National Domestic Vi- uh, Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE, uh, 1-800-799-7233, or you can also do a chat function um, if you don't feel comfortable calling them. Um, and that's at thehotline.org. Um, so I'm going to jump right in, and I'll try to give you another warning once we get to those parts. Um, so I'm going to tell you about Joseph Chester Polensky, uh, but his friends call him Joby. Uh, I will not be calling him Joby. I'll be calling him Joseph because <laughs> I am not his friend. So he is born in 1968 and uh, he kind of grows up in the suburbs of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and he becomes quite the ladies man. Mm-hmm. Um, those who know him say he has this kind of GQ kind of look about him. He's five foot eight, 175 pounds. He has sandy brown hair, hazel eyes, and he has like a really buff physique from practicing martial arts. Ooh. Um, he has expensive sports cars. Um, it's like a Nissan 350. Blah, blah, blah. It's not that crazy. Um, he likes to flaunt his money when he has it. Um, 
in the beginning, he's overly polite. He's clean cut. Um, he's almost got like a preppy kind of look to him. Okay. Um, he's always looking fresh and clean to the point where his like jeans are even pressed. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, he's very social and he has a lot of friends and they're very loyal to him. Um, and speaking of his friends, he has a lot of younger male friends, probably because he has all these sports cars and money. And he also has a collection of guns that he keeps hidden around, um, in his room. Okay. Um, he's also, um, really attracted to younger women and they're attracted to him. Um, probably because he has this bad boy kind of streak to him as well. Is he Um, he in his twenties right now? Like where... He, he's like a senior in high school oh, okay. right now. Yeah. So, um, but as he grows older, the girls stay the same age. So right on, <laughs> right on, right on. Right on, right on, right on. Um, so they're usually about 16 to 17 years old. Um, so he has a couple go-to moves when he's courting the ladies. Um, one of them is that like on his first date with them, he'll bring them back to his house and he'll introduce them to his mom. And his mom's really pretty and personable. And like they get to know her and they're like, oh, like he has a good relationship with his mom like this is really sweet um and then he would also show them like this photo album of him and like all of his previous like girlfriends but kind of like kind of showing them like look i can be with any of these beautiful women but i'm choosing to be with you um and then he would you know everything's very like a very intentional manipulation yeah Yeah. Uh uh-huh yeah. Um, and like when they started dating, he would like call them all the time. He'd buy them flowers. He'd take them horseback riding and like go on picnics. Um, he'd take them out on their on his jet ski. Um, and he was essentially being the best boyfriend he could be in the beginning. Another little fun fact about Joseph is that, um, you know, back in the day, we used to have pagers. Uh, and so he would uh, when he would call you on the pager, uh, the number that would flash across the pager would be 007. <laughs> because because his hero because his hero was James Bond. Oh my god. And that goes back to the Vesper oh, that's cocktail. Good. That's good. <laughs> did you ever know uh, pager code? Did I what? Did you know pager code? I I never had a pager. I didn't either. Yeah. No, I wasn't allowed to cuz I was born in 89, so I wasn't allowed to have a phone until like 99, 9 or 2000. I don't think I had a phone till I was in college. Maybe when was it? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I just remember my friends snake. definitely had them in high school, but I, my dad was like, uh, "No way, <laughs> no right. way, Jose." I had to like stock up on minutes. <laughs> yeah, I don't think my dad said. I don't know that it was about independence or anything like that. I think it was just like I'm not paying for that. <laughs> and you couldn't, as a kid, get one yourself without your parent like putting their name on something. He's like, "No, I'm not co-signing anything with you." <laughs> get out of here! I don't celebrate Father's Day. <laughs> I'm not going to buy you a goddamn phone. I have to find it one of those old emails where he says silly things about Father's Day. <laughs> um, okay, so back to Joseph. Over the next, like, 13 years, Joseph has uh, seven, like, prominent relationships um, that, like, all start off as this perfect fantasy, um, but then turn into him being overly controlling and abusive. Um, so we're going to start with Amy. So Amy Gerhardt is 15 years old when she meets Joseph. Uh, Joseph is a senior at the time, and um, he's going to Perry uh, Hall High School. Joseph, um, as always in the beginning, is very polite and um, has old-fashioned manners, and he even meets Amy's parents, and they agree to let Amy date Joseph, and um, they even, like, allow her to go to prom with him. Um, And so... 
Um, during the, uh, their five months of dating, Joseph tells her about the guns he had hidden under his bed and, uh, and in his car. And once they get into a fight, um, Mm -hmm. he gets physical with her. So again, there, there's a trigger warning coming up. Um, he holds a knife to her throat. Um, and so on June 24th of 1987, um, Amy kind of leaves town. She's going to go hang out with some friends, um, at like a condo that her uh, friend's family owns. And she's there with like the family and the friend. Um, and they're hanging out with a couple people at like a parking lot near a beach in Ocean City. And they're like all sharing like ice cream from this container. And so they're all just taking scoops of ice cream. And Amy takes a a spoonful and she like feeds it to one of the guys in the group. Oh, no. And just then she looks up and there's Joseph. And he's walking just like determinedly right at her. And he comes up and he knocks her over and he starts kicking her and he starts hitting her. And he's just yelling at her. What does this group of people do? Oh, they're trying to get him off. They're but event but he's yeah. 19 and they're like 14, 15. Oh my god. And so eventually the police show up and Joseph like grabs Amy. He's like you can't tell them what happened. You like you know I love you. You know I just got out yeah. of control. And so Amy tells the police it's a misunderstanding and they leave. And then um Joseph actually makes Amy and the boy that she was feeding ice cream to um which he's 14 years old and his name is Jason. He's uh the brother of one of her friends. Okay. Um so he makes Jason and Amy walk down towards the beach and he makes them hold hands and he starts kicking them and like forcing them along and they do this for about a half a mile. And um, Joseph is just screaming at Amy. He's like, you've ruined my life. You betrayed my trust. Um, he starts interrogating Jason and Amy about where the boys and girls sleep in the condo and who Amy has spent time with the last week. And he finally forces them to sit down on their hands and like, like sit crisscrossed. And he's like, has their backs up against a chain link fence. And he's like threatening to break their legs. And um, he orders Jason to hit Amy, but Jason refuses. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so Joseph grabs Jason's hand and he just starts hitting it into Amy's chest himself. Um, At that point, Amy tells Jason to run because Jason is 14 years old. He's much smaller than Joseph. She's like, get out of here. Just go, just go. And so Jason takes off running. He's going to go get help. And this makes Joseph even angrier. And he turns to Amy and he's just like, how would you like to die today? Do you want to drown? Do you want me to choke you to death? Do you want me to beat you? And he starts threatening her and her family. And then Amy finally sees some fishermen off in the distance. So she takes off running towards them. And at this point, it's dark. Yeah. And so she gets to them and there's like a flashlight near them. She grabs them. uh, She grabs a flashlight and puts it on her face. And she's like, help me. I need help. Like, he's attacking me. And Joseph comes up and is like, hey, guys, it's just a misunderstanding. We're going to take our fight up, up, up here. Don't even worry about it. So he gets Amy and they go up and there's like a street light up at the top and um, they're under it. And then Joseph sees all all the chaos he's like brought on Amy, like, cause he's been beating her for the last couple hours and he starts crying and apologizing. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do this. You have to forgive me. And so they, they eventually leave and then Amy has to go to the hospital and she gets x-rays and photographs are taken of her and she has a contusion, um, of the left eardrum. So she can't hear correctly for a couple months. And she has lacerations and swelling of her cheek and nose. She has a contusion of the right eye that caused it to hemorrhage. And she has bruised, um, she has a bruised rib cage. Um, and so her, Amy's mother immediately presses charges against Joseph and Joseph's mother like tries to get her to drop them. She's like, 
kids will be kids. They didn't mean anything, oh, blah, blah, blah. Um, in the meantime, Joseph meets a 16-year-old named Kimberly. If, you're, if you're, your 19-year-old son mm-hmm. beat up a 15-year-old girl where she had to go to the mm-hmm. hospital, that's some real mental jumps you're making to justify yeah. kids will be kids. Yeah. And I couldn't... I didn't, couldn't find anything of his earlier life. I don't know if he had abuse from his mother. It seemed like they had a tight relationship, but I don't mm-hmm. know to what extent that means. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, exactly. Like if your child is beating up another child, like something is going on. Jeez. Something needs to end. Um. So <clears throat> Joseph meets Kimberly and Kimberly, Kimberly is 16 years old. Um. And they start dating um, and kind of the same scenario. It's it's great in the beginning and then it turns sour. Um, again, trigger warning. Um, he ends up hitting her in the face, which gives her a black eye um, because he got angry when he found her birth control pills. Because he's like, why are you on birth control? Oh, my God. Yeah. He just wanted to control every yeah. part of their life. Um, on a separate occasion, he knocked her to her knees and threatened her with a razor blade. Um, and he actually was sentenced to two years of supervised probation at this point, and this is 1988. Okay. Um, so he's he's about 20 years old. Um, in January of 1989, Joseph pleads not guilty by reason of insanity for charges uh, against Amy, and a psychiatrist would find him competent to stand trial, and he was sentenced to four years in prison. Uh, while in prison, he received regular counseling, and there. Um, and they kind of like described his behavior as having like a Rambo kind of hmm. like personality because yeah. he was just like you know he wanted to be the hero kind of thing. Yeah. Um, when he was 22, he was released from jail uh, in April of 1991. He returned home to live with his uh, mother and stepfather, and he worked part time at an athletic supply store. And he kind of worked part time as a lifeguard, and then he would also do construction work. Um, by August, he had moved into an apartment with two other roommates and he started dating, um, uh, a a girl named Sharon and she's also in her early teens or sorry, late teens. Um, Joseph would end up attacking her at school and threatened to, um, quote, end quote, uh, blow her brains out in 1991. So he was like outside of the high school and he was just attacking her. Like tons of people were there. The principal actually came out and like made sure he was barred from campus. Um, And then, so for this, he's arrested again. Uh, Once he is released, he is told not to contact Sharon, but he obviously doesn't listen, and he starts to, like, call her repeatedly and starts to harass her. Uh, Sharon files additional charges describing uh, the threatening calls, and Joseph is again arrested. Uh, But two days uh, after arriving at the facility, he escapes and flees, uh, and he, like, leaves the state uh, by using a friend's ID card. Hmm. Uh, a month later, Joseph is found in uh, Gooding, Idaho, and a woman actually files a complaint against him because he assaulted her 15-year-old daughter and threatened to kill uh, the girl's brother. Uh, and police were told that he was unstable and possibly armed with an automatic rifle and a 9mm handgun and a shotgun. Dang. And on the morning of January 17th, Joseph barricades himself alone in an apartment and tells police uh, that he would kill himself and shoot people in a nearby parking lot if police advanced. And then after nearly 16 hours of this, a SWAT team hits the apartment with tear gas and they apprehend Joseph and they take him back to Maryland for a month's uh, long evaluation. Wow. Yeah. So it's just escalating at this point. And like he 
had a standoff with SWAT for 16 hours. Yeah. That's insane. Oh, my God. <sighs> um, so he kind of goes in and out of the system at this point. He would later say. So, so at this point, oh, when uh-huh. if he's had, I'm not, I'm not getting into like a whole gun debate thing, but he's been in a standoff with police mm-hmm. and he's attacked several people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he's had charges now and he went to jail for, you said, four years? Did I make uh, that up? He, he, it was three years, but he didn't serve those full sentence. Okay. But I, I feel like he shouldn't be allowed to have guns now anymore. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I, I feel like once you're in a shootout with police, <laughs> you're done. Ah, <laughs> but, but wait, there's more. Um, so he kind of goes in, in and out of evaluation. So... While he's in there, they're kind of, like, diagnosing him with schizophrenia. Um, and he's later saying to girlfriends that he played the system and, like, he uh-huh. cut his own yeah. wrist to, like, play it up. Um, so He seems incredibly of, manipulative. Cr- yeah, grain of salt on both sides. Um, so he gets this diagnosis of schizophrenia, which leads to him being found not guilty on federal weapons charges. Wow. Um, so all those charges are dropped and he's released. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, in January of 1995, uh, Joseph receives a three-year suspended sentence with five years of probation. So he doesn't have to serve in jail, but he is on probation. Um, so now I'm going to tell you about Michelle. Um, so he starts dating Michelle, who's 17 at the time. Um, and so she's 17 and he's 27, but he tells her and her family he's 23. Um, but, but Michelle's family is just like, mm, he's got a lot of crow's feet. Like, oh, it seems like, like a real old, a hard 23. <laughs> uh huh. And he's and like, her dad would be like, I can see him outside and like the bushes, like looking into what? her house. He, he's being like a w- real weirdo. Um, and so finally, Ooh. um, uh, what? I don't like okay. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, like, the family could tell that he's, like, trying to be very controlling of Michelle. And so, finally, the dad, like, confronts him, and they get into this altercation at the house, and they get into, like, a physical altercation. Have you seen, and, have you seen oh, the movie Fear? No. With Marky Mark and Reese Witherspoon? Oh, wait, you told me about this. And then Did you I watch, watch it? And then you watched it? Oh, I felt so uncomfortable. It is, it's this, like, it's this part of the story where the dad is like, oh my ah. God, this guy is bad. And Reese is like, oh my God, he's so cute and he's older. And then him and all of his buddies go to the house later, yes, right? It's ah. terrifying. It's so don't because watch what do you Because what do you do when you're a dad? Yeah. And you don't like who your daughter's dating and you think he's like mildly dangerous? Mm hmm. Teenagers are going to teenage and they aren't going to listen to you. And like, how do you get them to be safe? Yeah. It's almost like the harder you push, the more they're going to be into that. Like that. It, well, what a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's, there's it's a catch 22. You're not going to win. Um, you're, you're welcome dad that I didn't date horrible people that you have to like, try and get me away from. Uh, so Joseph's being a real creep and, Michelle and uh, Michelle's dad and him confront each other. And so they get into this physical altercation to the point where Michelle's dad ends up in the hospital with four broken ribs oh and a God. split and a split lip. This is the um, movie but- fear. <laughs> oh, surprise. <laughs> You're on my podcast. Let me tell you about a movie. <laughs> oh, my God. This is crazy. Um, but he ends up not pressing charges. Why? Against nope. Joseph. Wait. Um, so That's a all you months- tell me about that? No, just okay. I'm gonna keep telling you stories. I'll listen. 
sorry. Um, no, 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 it's fine. Uh, so it's a couple of months go by, and then it's Christmas, and um, Michelle has at this point been uh, enduring other um, abuse from Joseph, but she hasn't been telling her family. But on Christmas Christmas night, Joseph gets so angry with Michelle Michelle that he chokes her and slams her head against uh, some shower tiles, um, and then she finally goes to her family, and then they're like, boom. We're done. We're pressing charges. Um, oh, and But it's crazy. So they start going back and forth with pressing charges against each other, like Michelle's family and Joseph. Joseph's like, ah, no, they're the crazy ones. They're the ones who this, are, like, attacking this, me. This, 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 all of this is from the movie Fear. Marky Mark, he stands in the street and he's punching himself in the chest. He's like, oh. I'm going to say you did this, Mr. So-and-so. It's crazy. I... You remember things and I don't. I know. Here's what's <laughs> um, wild to me. Here's what's yeah. wild to me. If this dude beat uh-huh. up dad and dad uh-huh. ends up in the hospital, uh-huh. I, Michelle is on fucking house arrest. She's on lockdown. There's no <laughs> opportunity that she's supposed to. This is crazy. Yeah. 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 I'm not judging their actions. I'm like a mild. Like the tone I have is this is crazy. Yeah. Um, okay. So they press charges, and this obviously goes against Joseph, uh, Joseph's uh, probation. So yeah. he's kind of like in lockup a little bit for like a little bit of time. Um, but in the meantime, while he's locked up, uh, Gary, who's Michelle's father, so Gary, Gary's at home one day, and he goes outside to his car, and he sees that all of his tires have been slashed. All of them. You know who else slashes tires? OJ. This is dangerous. Oh <laughs> And someone has poured 10 pounds of sugar into his ga- gas tank. Ooh. Uh-huh. But Joseph's in jail right now, so. Mm-hmm, yeah, Joseph mm-hmm. has other hoodlum friends. He does. My hood rat friends. I'm going to go do hood rat things. Oh, my God. Um, so Joseph gets out of, uh, he posts bail. He gets out of jail. And um, in the meantime, Joseph makes friends with this 17-year-old girl named Lisa. Um, and he's, he starts wooing her and, um, they're like in the midst of the romance and then he gets sent to a detention center. Um, but he's then like calling her like all the time to the point where she's missing school. So she could be at home to like get his calls and like talk to him all day. Um, and so at this point, Joseph wants to put Gary in his place, Michelle's father. He's like, you know what? I've had enough of this. I want to put him away. Um, and so he tells Lisa, you know what you should do? You should go to the police and say that Gary has been threatening you and your family with a bomb. And Lisa's like, uh, no, I don't even know Gary. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't want any part of this. Whoa. And he's like, you know what? F you. Screw you. I'm going to kill you and your family. And he starts threatening Lisa. And so Lisa gets so scared that on April 9th of 1996, she goes and files charges against Gary. Could I? Oh, no. Wrong no, person. about wrong person against Gary, who she's never met. Lisa. Uh-huh. Lisa was going to be like, good on you, Lisa. It's the first person no. who's like, here we go. No. And the crazy thing is they took her test or they took her like charges when she's underage and she needed like an adult with her, but they didn't check her ID or anything. They're like, oh, okay, we'll just take your statement. And then we're going to go arrest Gary. Uh, the 90s so were they- a wild time. <laughs> so on april 18th the police go get gary and they arrest him and they charge him with uh, like making bomb threats and like nuts Uh uh-huh um and so then his wife has to come down and post bail for him so she gets him out of jail and then over uh over the next month gary is arrested three more times because he has multiple friends 
pressing charges against him. I am annoyed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. And at one point while being held in the Baltimore County Detention Center, Gary had to wear a badge that alerted guards to keep him away from Joseph. He's like, hey, guys, it's me again on here on false charges. Don't put me anywhere near Joseph. Like, he's insane. This is wild. Um, And so and then Joseph is released from jail and he is put on probation and he's ordered to stay away from Michelle and her family. They're like, stop it, you. You're being ridiculous. Stop it. Okay. So now we're going to jump into Stacy's story. Oh, my God. I know. Um, again, trigger warnings. Stacy's going to have a whole uh, uh, thing happen with her as well. Um, in 1996, he starts uh, seeing a 17-year-old named Stacy. Uh, kind of same story. He's courting her. Her family doesn't believe he's 20 years old. Her dad looks into him, and he finds that he has through like three criminal charges. Yeah. Um, and he and Stacy's like, "Hey, Joseph, like my dad looked into you and sees that you have a criminal record." And he's like, "Oh yeah, did he? Well, he didn't see the kidnapping charges. He didn't see these. Like he starts rattling off his like checklist, right? Oh my god. And he's like, you know what?" I can't trust your parents. You need to tap their phones. I need to know what, what's going on with them. I need to know, like, every conversation. Stacy, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1996, so Joseph's around 29 years old at this point. Uh, trigger warning, we're going to get into the bad parts of um, Stacy's story. Um, in 1996, Joseph gets in an altercation with Stacy. Um, he gets so mad that he grabs her and he shoves her up against a wall and he threatens to throw her off a balcony. Yeah. Um, another time, he tries to hit her and her friend while they're walking on the side of the road. Like He's like in a he car? Uh-huh. He like might have kicked them out and was like, you guys can walk. And then he'd try to hit them with his car. Oh, my God. Um, Stacy's family fi- finally files charges against Joseph. And luckily for them, he's sent to jail for violation um, for his other probation that he has. And he's sentenced to three years. Um, so from jail, Joseph has his mom hand deliver a letter to Stacy at work. And he's like, Mom, like her family can't see this letter. Like, this is my love letter to my girlfriend. I need you to hand deliver it to her. So... His mom goes to Stacy and was like, "Here, you have to read this." So Stacy reads it, and then Stacy, uh, and then Joseph's mom takes the letter from her because he's like, "No evidence." Yeah. Um. And in it, he's just like, "I love you so much. We're gonna be together at some point again." Blah 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 blah. And she's like, "Ah, oh, swoon. I love you too." Oh my god. Um. And so Stacy's like, "Okay, I'm gonna keep up this long distance relationship with Joseph." But then one of their mutual friends, uh, brings Stacy a letter. And Joseph had written this friend a letter that essentially said that his relationship with Stacy was a big joke and she was just another like notch under his belt. Oof. Mm-hmm. So Stacy was like, well, screw that. And she writes Joseph a letter and was like, it's over. Um, but Joseph loses it when he reads this. Yeah. Uh, um, he starts having friends follow her. Um, he has them write cryptic notes and like leave them on her car and like real specific stuff that only her and Joseph would know about. And he would like call her a bunch and like hang up, just kind of taking over her whole yeah. life, becoming like all consuming are, in her are mind. Are Joseph's friends his age or are they younger? Like, who are these friends that are willing to like spook people and press charges and. 
And I don't know for sure, but I'm I'm pretty sure he keeps younger friends so he can manipulate them. Like I think okay. he does that whole bad boy persona. Like I got yeah. cars, I got money. Yeah. Look, all these beautiful women. Because he didn't just have one girlfriend at a time. He yeah. would like kind of be courting a bunch of ladies, um, but he wanted complete control over them. Um, so Joseph is released from prison on June 20th of 1988. Um, when he gets out, he meets a 20-year-old Tracy Whitehead, and kind of same story. He woos her. They court each other. Um, they fall in lust with each other. He gets very possessive. Um, she eventually does move in with him. Um, he ends up, again, attacking her, and he's arrested, but then released on bail the very next day, and he goes and buys a rifle and a shotgun. Tracy, at this point, is very scared, so she moves out of Joseph's apartment, and she goes and stays with family friends, um, and their names are Georgia, uh, George and Gloria Schenk, Schenk, and Joseph ends up finding her at their house, and he enters the home. And he ends up shooting and killing both George and Gloria. Oh, like now we've mm -hmm. jumped. Yeah. Um, It was unfortunately in front of their three-year-old granddaughter and 12-year-old son. He then drags uh, Tracy outside of the house and towards his van. And a neighbor kind of hears all the commotion going on. And his name is David Myers. And um, he comes out and he tries to help uh, Tracy. Um, but Joseph ends up shooting and killing him as well. Mm. Um, and for the next 10 days, there's this massive manhunt out for Joseph and police are setting up barricades and blockades and somehow he evades capture twice. Like there's a couple barriers he should have been caught at, but he ended up getting away somehow. Um, and during the evening of Wednesday, March 8th, Joseph tries to steal 36-year-old Jennifer McDonald's car. And um, her two-year-old son is actually with her at the time. And during the altercation, he ends up shooting and killing Jennifer. Um, and her son actually lives. Um, he is injured, but he ends up leaving that car and he hijacks another car nearby. Um, and then Joseph takes Tracy to a motel where they're hiding out and watching the news. And he's like watching the news of the night and they're like reporting on the latest car that he's stolen. And he's like, Oh my God, that car is like right outside this motel door and all my guns are in it. I need to get my guns out. So he's like, Tracy, come outside with me. We're going to get all the guns out of the car and we'll move them inside the motel room. And so they go outside and Tracy sees a police officer. Like he, she sees a cruiser and she just bolts Bolts towards it it. and he sees that and he bolts towards the woods. So he's now gone. He runs away. Mm -hmm. And she, now she's safe. Um, and so he eventually, uh, he's running through the woods and he finds a house and he knocks on the door and the young boy lets him into the house and he ends up taking the family hostage for several hours. Um, and he like ties them up, um, and he's kind of terrorizing them for a little bit. Um, but then he eventually leaves. Um, On Friday, March 10th, Joseph heads to Virginia, uh, where he kidnaps uh, William Terrell and orders him to transport him back to eastern Baltimore County. And he also has William stop to get him, like, supplies. He's like, here, here's a lot of cash. Go inside this Walmart and, like, get me food and supplies. And if you don't come back, like, he starts, he's like, I'm going to start shooting people out here in the parking lot. So William ends up coming back and giving him the supplies. Um, But eventually he releases William. And then on Friday, March 17th, Joseph once again escapes a police barrier and he gets to Tracy's mother's house. And um, her mother's name is Lynn and she's there with her boyfriend, Andrew McCord. And he also has his 12-year-old son, Bradley McCord, with him. And for the following 
97 hours, Joseph hold, holds the family hostage in their home with police outside trying to negotiate with him. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And during the standoff, no one is permitted to enter the neighborhood. And the only thing that Joseph is asking for is to talk to Tracy. And they're like, you know what? We're not going to allow him to talk to Tracy because that's the only mm-hmm. thing he's he requesting. And if we give that to him, there's a good chance that he'll just start killing everyone in the mm-hmm. house. Um, and so on the evening of Tuesday, March 21st, Lynn and Andrew find their opportunity to, uh, slip some Xanax into some iced tea. Whoa. And they give it to, uh, Joseph and he drinks it and he kind of like passes out and they sneak out through a rear window, but they leave Bradley asleep in the kitchen next to him. What? Yes. What? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. They'll get flack for that later. Um, but once outside, they're like, hey, hey, police officers, we're free, but our son is still inside. So the police charge inside the house. Um, but once inside, police say that Joseph had woken up and they, that he started charging at them. So they ended up fire opening firing fire on him and they shot him to death. Uh, uh, uh. Wow. Mm-hmm. The kid was 12. Uh huh. I don't understand why you can't throw a 12 year old out a window. Uh huh. I don't. Mm, okay. Yeah, we weren't there. It was ninety-seven hours of hell. I know. Hell. I know. Uh, an autopsy revealed that he, uh, Joseph had been shot twenty-seven times. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a toxicology report that there was no drugs or alcohol in his system, but there was some Xanax. So okay. that kind of yeah corroborates their story. Uh, shortly after the shootings, constant. Anne Waugh, um, she was 48 years old at the time, was charged with illegally purchasing firearms for Joseph. I was going to, yeah, I was like, where's this guy mm-hmm. getting his guns? Mm-hmm. So he was having different, like, acquaintances go buy him guns. There's something else I'm going to throw out there. Uh-huh. Now, I am a rule follower, so I'm probably a bad person to talk about this. But, you know, if I'm walking into a 7-Eleven and underage kids want me to buy them alcohol, I'm not buying them alcohol. If somebody yeah. comes to me and they're like... Hey, I can't legally get a gun. Will you get a gun for me? I'm also not. You know what I mean? Like, you're not. You're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. There's a reason you're not supposed to have a gun. Why am I getting you a gun? Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of people that can and should have guns, but if you're if you're on that bad list, you don't get one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yikes. Um, and so. Uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew, who was the husband of Lynn during this hostage situation, uh, he tried to collect a $10,000 reward offered in the apprehension of Joseph, but he was denied because he did not call the Metro Crime Stoppers tip line that offers the reward. I've heard of this before. Did you tell me a story about this? Yes. Or did I tell you? No, there was another. It was one that I read and I was like, I got so mad about it. Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's like, like you have to like there's lawsuit like oh. Mhm. If you don't call that proper tip line, yeah. you don't get that reward. Which is crazy cuz he went through this ordeal. Yeah. Like give this man some money. I don't know. Um but yeah, that was the story of uh Joseph Plunsky. Um he was actually I think I don't know if he still holds the record, but he at the time he held the longest hostage situation for one person. Oh. Yeah, which is, a, I thought, an interesting fact. That is interesting. Yeah. Because, you, you know, when you told me how long it was, I was like, well, I mean, he's got to go to sleep. So, yeah, he's got to be, like, tying people up. Mm-hmm. So, he, you know, and then you're like, 
as a hostage when it's when they're sleeping you're like this is my time but how do i get out of all of it yikes or is everybody staying up and they're starting to hallucinate you know lack of sleep is a form of torture it is yeah people go cuckoo Mm-hmm. um jackie do you need some self-care yeah i'm going i'm going to give you some self-care you ready okay okay I got a, I got a, I got a thing for you here. Okay. <laughs> okay. What does a spy do when they go to bed? I don't know what. They go undercover. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. Um. Okay, Jackie. Don't be worried about your smartphone or TV spying on you. Your vacuum cleaner has been gathering dirt on you for years. Oh my god. <laughs> 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 you guys don't see this but kimberly's feeding me jokes and this, this is, is tickling me okay you ready did you hear about the spy who shit his pants by the end of his mission no he had a debrief oh debrief hey <laughs> <laughs> that vacuum one is good that's a good one yeah <laughs> that's that's your takeaway from this uh-huh <laughs> uh well great jackie i had a great episode with you yeah me with you as well perfect you know stories were somber but yours yeah. got me all riled up there there's a lot of riling up and again um during my story if anything resonated with you and you need to talk to someone um again reach out to national domestic violence hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE that's 1-800-799-7233. And again, if you don't feel comfortable calling someone, go to the hotline.org website and they have a chat now feature. That was, I read an article this morning, last night, that was about um, people being concerned about the shelter in places and that it mm. puts abused children mm. and abused people in relationships in jeopardy because they, they're not, you don't have kids going to school regularly where they can be seen and be fed and there's people with eyes on the mm-hmm. situation and same, yeah. you know, with the, you're just isolated in a home so that it, people are concerned and should you feel like you're in one of those situations, do, do reach out. There's people that'll yeah come get you. Do reach out. Um, our hearts with you guys during this time and All right, guys, well, we'll wrap up our episode. We hope you see you next week. Um, As always, this is the podcast where the drinks are stiff. And the bodies are stiffer. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, killercocktailspodcast.com, for up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. (laughs) (laughs) I can't hear you guys. Did you mute it? You're telling secrets? You're telling me how much you like me? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't hear th- I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> and we'll see you next week where the drinks are <laughs> 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 <laughs>